The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. <clears throat> There's a quote that appears in, an, in several places in the suttas, so it's not just tucked off in one corner somewhere. I think it's maybe five or so different places, and I can give you the locations if you want, in which the Buddha is quoted as saying, anyone who's ever become fully enlightened in the past or is doing so now or who will ever do so in the future um, did so, does so, and will do so by and then basically doing these three things. Setting aside the hindrance, the five hindrances, cultivating this list called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, and through that, realizing or bringing to fruition the seven factors of enlightenment. You know, there's all these, you know, if, if you're new to all of this, you're soon going to, you know, Buddhism sometimes is called a religion of lists, right? And so how much did the Buddha really teach and t formulate these lists? We don't really know. Many people suspect that it was part of the way of preserving and organizing the teachings into these list forms. So, you know, you can go crazy on this list. In fact, there are even lists of the lists. One of the important lists, it's got a long, but it's, I'll just tell you, it's not in your notes, it's called Bodhipakiyadhamma. Bodhi is awakening. Dhamma is dharmas. Dharma has a number of meanings. One of them is just things. And pucky just means about or pertaining to. This is, list is called dharmas or things pertaining to awakening. And it's a list of seven lists. Uh, you know, the seven factors of enlightenment are on there. And anyway, it's got the, all this list. So, but it's a nice compilation of this, the 37. I can, I can tell you how to find that if you ever want. So, but that's, that's considered an important list. So it just goes on and on. And so we have to know that and not get uh, overwhelmed by it. So just let, let the part come in if, if you're not used to it uh, that, that works and you don't have to memorize it all. Some people do study these lists and find that that's useful and other people, they're just not drawn to do that, but they find that just being around over time, it sticks uh, naturally. So just, you know, don't make, don't stir yourself up too much. But this is what the suttas are saying. Anyone who's, who's ever become, we use enlightened, awakened, liberated, whatever terms, you sort of reach the end goal of what this tradition is about, is through setting aside the five hindrances and then practicing or cultivating the four foundations of mindfulness. We're going to talk about what that is. If you don't know, there's a sutta called the Satipatthana Sutta, very important. And then through that, bringing to fruition this list called the seven factors of enlightenment. Seven factors of enlightenment is a, so we're going to look at the four foundations of mindfulness, but first I want to spend just a little time on the seven factors of enlightenment. It's a big deal in the tradition. It's very important. And I start on your notes on page two, and then I really get into it uh, on page three. And I just want to highlight a little. I don't want to, if you know, if, if you want to spend more time, we can, but... Um, you know, I just gave you, at the top of page three, I gave you a few quotes, just sort of highlighting the emphasis. There's many, many more, but I just to save space. You know, this 18-page note, uh, this was how far I could bring it down when I was really trying to just go down to what I thought was kind of the essence. 
So um, you could have cut it down more, but it was like, what do you leave out and what do you keep in? It's hard because it's, there's a lot here. So, um, you know, just some things about that. And then the list is here. We'll just read it here. It, uh, these are the English translations. Mindfulness. And the second was called investigation or discernment of dharma. And then energy. Rapture. That's PT. Tranquility. It's a different Pali word. It's pasati, not uh, samatha, but similar thing. Concentration, that's samadhi and equanimity. Many of the Buddhist lists culminate in equanimity. The seven factors of enlightenment right here culminate in equanimity. We were just looking at the four jhanas. If you go back and refresh your memory and, and look at the definition, when you get into the third and certainly in the fourth jhanas, equanimity comes to the forefront. There's another list, some of you will, will know this, called the four Brahma Viharas. I'm not going to get into it today, called the four divine abodes. Very important. They're more cultivating these beautiful states of the heart. Loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic or altruistic joy culminates in equanimity. So you could look at a lot of things as sort of, sort of all kind of converging on equanimity. If we really understand equanimity, that really is a place of, of non-clinging, you could say. So that's one way... Maybe not the only, but you, I, I like to think of it as, as, you know, equanimity is kind of getting really foundational here, right? Do you mind sharing what, what the Pali word is for investigation? Dhamma The Pali word for investigation, it's called Dhamma The Dhamma, D-H-A-M-M-A, that's the Pali for Dharma, and then the Vichaya, uh, I think it's V-I-C-A-Y-A, I believe. It just means the investigation or discernment of, dhar- of Dharma. And so it's an interesting question. The word Dharma has a range of meanings. The most common one are the teachings themselves. That's the Dharma. The path can be called Dharma. Sort of the way of things, the way things are is Dharma, a lot of meanings. And then there's, a, there's another meaning that we don't use that much, which is just things, Dharmas, things, things, phenomena. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. There you go. So keep that in mind. If you some of the, you know you don't have to read suttas, and it's it's an acquired taste for many people, but for some people are drawn. So these are the kind of things to keep a. So this is this list. Just a few things about it. Um, there are a number, there is not just one way that you can approach this list. As with everything that we keep saying all day, it's a range of understandings, how to apply it. Sometimes it's just prevented, presented as a bare list of qualities. And it can also be looked at as something that could be developed sequentially. There's a couple of different ways to hold it. Um, but in the middle and down towards the bottom of page three and, and um, over into page four, uh, I just point out, I won't go through it all here, but I just want to point out that um, Six of the seven enlightenment, uh, 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 of these factors of enlightenment appear directly either in the jhana formulation itself or in the introductory passages in the suttas that are leading right up to jhana. 
So the suttas do not equate the seven factors of enlightenment with jhana. Uh, uh, so here you go. You hear the different teachers say different things. Here I go. Um, I equate them. I actually think if we hold jhana in the right way, that these are integrated and synthesized all together. Um, we looked at um, that um, one uh, sutta I said, showed, talked about earlier, that in which there were 11 qualities present in the states of jhana in addition to the five jhana factors. Mindfulness was in there. Energy was in there. Investigation, that was, those were all were in there. Uh, piti, right out of there. Tranquility, that's pasati. Uh, samadhi is right here. Well, if you take the seven, seven, equanimity right out of there, if you take the samadhi, the sixth of the seven enlightenment factors, to its culmination, what is the culmination? It's the right samadhi. It's the four jhanas. So, just I think by definition, you could say that. Now, it's not the only way to understand it. If you're not emphasizing samadhi, you're coming from more of a pure uh, uh, vipassana path, then you would not equate it that way. So you don't have to. I'm just pointing different ways to hold it in which it's understood. Again, it's not one way. And I, again, you, I think you get that I'm not here to say this is the right way, but there's a range of ways it can be understood and incorporated into your practice. Yeah. Okay. So unless somebody wants to get into it, I want to just sort of, le- even though it's a hugely important uh, foundational sutta, so if someone wants it any time, you know, raise your hand and we can get back into it. But I kind of want to let that sit there for now, and I want to move to page four of your notes that actually gets into what's called the Foundations of Mindfulness Sutta, and really spend a little time here, because this is important, and this will help us to sort to understand the range of, I'm not saying it's all confusing, but it can be confusing on how people teach mindfulness and insight and concentration, or are they the same? Are they different and everything? I think this will really help us get to the essence of that is what I have in mind to do, yeah? Okay. So on page four, so uh, some of you know this term. It's called satipatthana, and there's actually, sati is the word for mindfulness, S-A-T-I, and the word patana, we won't get into that too much, but it actually has more than one meaning of things, so uh, it's actually not clear, but it's, it can be called the foundations of mindfulness. We sometimes call it the four foundations because there are four of them. And so um, I don't have in your notes, um, I didn't list out the Satipatthana Sutta. It's, a, it's big. It's actually not that long. It's about 10 pages in English translation there, but um, depending on the font size and page size. But let me just say a little about it. <coughs> Excuse me. And I, I'm happy to point you. Some of you have heard about this a lot. Some of you may not be familiar, but uh, the Satipatthana Sutta, Foundations of Mindfulness Sutta, is, is a, a very important discourse or sutta and teaching about mindfulness practice and sort of a training on how one one way, not the only way, to practice mindfulness. Um, You can easily get more information if you just do a web search just on foundations of mindfulness. Or if you look on here, Satipatthana, there are books on it, and 
And I'll say again that some people find that it's useful to do more formal study on it. And you can get to a place where all these, you're going to see there's some complexity, and we'll only go into it a little bit. Uh, you can get to the, it can be confusing, but you can get to a place where it's all there and you see how it all fits together over time. So don't stress out about it. But I'm just going to name what, what it is and just l- don't try to memorize this. Just let it go in and out. Come see me if you want some suggestions on some other books or resources so you can have, a, have it as a list there for yourself. You can go copy it out of my book out there if you, if you want to get it. It's in there. So what it does is it, divide, it, it, it divides mindfulness practice up into four groups. And I'll just name what they are. The first one is the body. And it gives mindfulness practices on the body. And there's actually, it goes on and on because it divides that into six subgroups. And I'll just give you a, a flavor. The first of them is mindfulness of breathing. That's one of the mindfulness of body practices. And then it expands. The second one, it gets into what are called the four postures. Sitting, standing, walking, and lying down. You can actually be mindful of your body in the different postures. So that's, that's one. And then it gets into what you call all activities. And it's talking about like eating, bathing, going to, you know, using the toilet, um, dressing. You know, just so it can expand your mindfulness to include everything. And then there's... What's, there's some other ones. There's uh, what's called a four elements meditation, and there's ones about. There's some other ones that I won't get into that are important too. But it, it, there's six different categories that it divides into. So that's the first one, and there's some details on how to. It's just giving us giving us instructions and suggestions on how to place our attention to practice mindfulness of our bodies. The second of the found, four foundations is what's called. This is this is this word. You don't have to know the Pali, but it starts with a V, Vedana. And Vedana refers to, it's, it's, it's an interesting translation. We call it feeling tone. I think for most of us in English, in common usage, we think of feelings to be like emotions or moods. But it actually has a very uh, specific meaning. It means you can have a, every experience that you can have, is either going to be pleasant or it's going to be unpleasant or it's going to be, they call it, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. For shorthand, they call it neutral, which is a good shorthand, but we have to be careful because neutral can kind of be like numbed out. It doesn't mean that. You're having the experience, but sometimes if someone were to ask you, like I'll give you an example. I'm sitting here in my chair. I can feel my back against the back. It's not unpleasant, not pleasant, but it's clear. So it's, it's, I could call it neutral. So that's what we mean by the feeling tone that accompanies every experience. That's the Vedna. There's a pleasant Vedna, an unpleasant feeling tone, or a neither pleasant nor unpleasant neutral that accompanies every experience. And you can actually be mindful. Not only does it accompany every experience, but you can actually be mindful of that. You can actually make a point to pay attention to the fact of the pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutralness of the experience, right, itself. That's different than the actual experience. Right? I mean, they're, they're like this close together, okay? That's the second. So the first, mindfulness of the body. Second one, this feeling tone, Vedna. And the third one, it's a word in Pali, chittas. It means, um, uh, it's just mind states. It's not talking about consciousness itself, but just 
states of mind that come up, and it lists things like you know, if your if when you practice in this way, it gives you specific things. Is your mind is greed, hatred, or delusion present in your mind? You know it. Or if greed, hatred, and delusion is not in your mind, you know that. You can be present of the state of your mind. And there's other things. One of them is your mind concentrated. You know that. If your mind's not concentrated, you know that. There's distracted mind. Is your mind distracted or not? So there's, won't go through, I don't, I don't even know if I remember every single one. It's a pretty small list, but it's states of mind. You can be aware of that, right? Yeah. And then the fourth is, and I know this is a lot, like I said, you know, you don't have to try to memorize it. I'm only just skimming here. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving a lot out. And again, just, you know, go get it out, of, copy it out of there it's, if you want it. Um, the fourth is, is mindfulness of what they call dhammas or dharmas. And this is what I was saying before. Things. Phenomena. And the fourth foundation, actually, it's more lists. It's actually got five lists in it. I tell you, this list, they just go on and on. So there's five lists in here. And I'll just name them real quick. There's the five hindrances are in there. There's a list called the five aggregates. Don't worry if you don't know what it is. Just for time, we won't go through all that. There's something called the six sense bases, or the six senses, you could say. In this model, there's, you know, we have our five senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, body sensations, they call touch. And then there's a sixth one, which is the mind. They call that a sense door, because you have experience through the mind, too, right? They call the six senses. And then the seven factors of enlightenment is in that list. And the Four Noble Truths is in that list. So that's a lot. And so, again, just let it kind of go, th- go in one ear, wash through. Whatever needs to stick will stick. The way this sutta is set up is it talks in the first three in the body. Number two, the feeling tone, the Vedana. And number three, the states of the mind. It's, it's more telling you what to be mindful of. In the fourth foundation, it, it's a little different. Not only are we mindful of it, but it's giving us some uh, guidance on how to work with these things skillfully. So, for example, on the hindrances, we're not only instructed to be aware of a hindrance, like if you're caught in craving in your mind or something, or ill will or whatever it is, or doubt, you want to know that the hindrance is there. But also we want to be aware of what is it that gives rise to the hindrance in the first place? What causes this to arise? Right? Maybe you pick up the, the newspaper every morning and there's your favorite politician uh, on the front page again and you um, either really like it or you really don't like it. It just depends on your politics and all that, right? And here we're not, I'm not, this isn't about anybody's right or wrong politics. I don't make it, you know, I'm sure we're all over the place in big group like this. We don't share the same politics. But my point is, that would be an example of knowing we don't just be lost in it, we're aware. Ah, when I see a photo of this particular person, this happens in my mind. That's knowing what gives rise to the, either the pleasant and maybe the craving or the unpleasant and the ill will, for example, Right? So that would be an example. And then how to prevent future arising of the hindrance. So we say, well, 
do I want to either fall into craving or do I want to fall into ill will? If the answer is no, say, how can I work with it skillfully? So it's giving us uh, suggestions on how to work. You get, you get the idea? So there's more than just being mindful of it. So that's kind of just a real quick sort of overview of what these are about. Obviously, we've left a ton of detail out on these four foundations of mindfulness. So um, I want to talk about some of the different ways it's taught and to work with it. But first, I just want to um, point a few things out on page four of your notes. About two-thirds of the way down, there's a quote from the suttas that's very important. By the way, where it says MN44.12, MN is, stands for what's called the Majjhima Nikaya, which is, which is the middle-length discourses. And if you want to know what the, all the discourses, again, again, you can copy them out of the appendix in the book back there. I list them all out. And, um, but this is the middle-length discourses. Sutta number 44 paragraph 12. That's, that's what, you, what these abbreviations mean. Listen to what it says. What is concentration? What is the basis of concentration? Unification of mind is concentration. So that's what we were talking about earlier, right? This coming to this ekagata. It doesn't use the word jhana, but that's pretty strong. It's probably jhana, right? Unification of mind. The four foundations of mindfulness are the basis of concentration. Well, what is this saying? It's, it's actually directly linking four foundations of mindfulness as the practice to lead to these d- deep states of concentration. So I want to come back to that because that's clearly not the only way it's understood, right? There it is in the suttas. And in this next quote, it lists, Majjhima Nikai 117, it lists out the whole eightfold path in one of right view, one of right, right intention comes into being. If you have right intention, right speech comes into being, and on and on. It le- one leads to the nest. If one has right mindfulness, right concentration comes into being. That seems to be linking this four foundations of mindfulness. There's more suttas. I just didn't put them all in here for space. Directly with, with jhana. When I look at the suttas in general, it's hard to set aside the importance of jhana in there. It's, it's hard to do for me. So we're gonna, that'll, we'll come back to that under controversies. So as I say at the bottom of your notes on page four, samadhi is directly mentioned in the Satipatthana Sutta in only three places. The first one is in the third foundation. I mentioned this a few minutes ago on the states of your mind. A concentrated mind is understood as being concentrated and an unconcentrated mind is samadhi. As, as unconcentrated, uses the word samadhi. Uh, it's, a, it's a variation of a samadhi atam, which means having become concentrated or not. Doesn't tell you to attain any particular level of concentration, just know what's there. That's all it says. Second place where samadhi is mentioned is in, remember I said in the fourth foundation there was all these lists, and one of the lists was the seven factors of enlightenment. And we saw that samadhi was the sixth element of the seven factor of, en- of enlightenment. That's in your notes. You can go back as a reference. So this, that list is in the fourth foundation, and it's, it is, uh, that's where samadhi appears. And in that one, remember I told you in the fourth foundation, in addition to telling us what to be mindful of, 
It also gave us suggestions on how to work skillfully, like I used an example of the hindrances to know what caused it. Well, on the seven factors of enlightenment, the, the tip is to know not only is the seven factors of enlightenment, like is it weak or strong or what, how is it, but what will support you develop it to its culmination and its fruition? What's the culmination and fruition of samadhi? It's right samadhi, the four jhanas. It doesn't actually say attain the four jhanas, but there it is in the seven factors of enlightenment. So if you take it to its fruition, that is jhana. So it's listed there. And the third, uh, there's a third place when samadhi is, is, is discussed in detail. This sutta that we're working with, this satipatthana, foundation of mindfulness sutta, it actually exists in two places in the suttas. In the middle length discourses as the Satipatthana Sutta. And it's, there's another group called the long discourses, the Dikkha And it's in there in a different version called the Maha, the great Satipatthana Sutta. And it's word for word identical, except the very last section on the Four Noble Truths, it expands it out and it lists out the whole eightfold path. So it's longer. And in there, part of the Eightfold Path is write samadhi, and it lists all the samadhi out, and it's got all the jhanas are there. So it does exist in the Maha version of this. It's very explicit about jhana. So those are the three places that samadhi appears in that text. Okay. Okay so far? So that's kind of the background. Let's step out of the text for a moment and look at some of the ways that uh, the Satipatthana Sutta is actually taught today in practice, okay? I'll name a few ways that I know of, and I have a feeling some people here may know other ways, and we don't necessarily, you're welcome to share if you want, we don't necessarily have to lay out all the ways, but you'll get the idea that it's not put into practice in just one way. So, uh, if you go, when we, I don't know, I'm, I'm not around IMC as much as I used to. I'm here once or twice a year, maybe something like this. So, I don't really know how they're teaching here these days. But the way it always was for a long time. Or if you go to a place like Spirit Rock or something like that. It's, it's a range of ways. But one of the common ways that insight meditation is taught is using the framework of the four, of the four foundations of mindfulness. And if you were to go on a typical retreat, at least it used to be, where I don't teach retreats there anymore, but I used to teach a lot of them, the way we would do it is we would um, work systematically through the foundation. So you'd start off for the first couple of days on retreat and you'd be working with the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of breathing. And you'd stay with that. And then you would open it up and move through. You, you, you would maybe work through the mindfulness of the four postures or in all activities, and they'd work through in that way. Maybe after a couple of days, you would get more concentrated and you'd be able to have enough stability of mind to notice the second foundation be of the feeling tone. And then maybe you go on in a few days, they'll add in instructions, for example, to notice states of your mind. And they'd open up the awareness to your whole mind and body process systematically like that, using this structure. Right? So one way that it gets taught, and, and no talk about samadhi necessarily, just bringing your mindfulness back 
when you can, moment to moment. And any of you who've done these kind of retreats know by doing that, you do develop, it can be a lot, whatever, some degree or a lot of samadhi, just by bringing your mindfulness there. So uh, that's one way it can be taught, is you sort of uh, work and add in, and then depending on the teacher, you may, it may be systematic, or you may not give any, and, and some teachers give a lot of emphasis to one of these foundations over another. So there might be one teacher who gives a lot of attention to the third foundation, states of your mind, and that teacher may instruct you to put all your attention, you're not even about your breathing, just what's my mind state, what's my mind state? That's like Utejaniya, who's popular these days. Might be an example. That works for some people. For other people, it's hard to get to the mind if they're not kind of stable first. You have to see. Other people might like the uh, second foundation on Vedna, feeling tone. Uh, Goenka was kind of like that. Some may focus on the mindfulness of breathing, so that some may give emphasis on one, but certainly open up to the others. So you can either work with it systematically, or you can just see what's predominant right now and, and let your experience inform you and let it some pop up to your mind more than others. Many flavor variations. Um, all of these different ways I'm talking about it fall under uh, what I would call, the, you can approach the sutta from, from being descriptive or prescriptive. Prescriptive is saying, Start here, do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do that. That's one approach. Another way it's taught, which is more kind of where I come from, is it's descriptive. It's describing what happens if you just start with the first thing, being mindful of your breathing. And just to give you an example, and again, this is just another style. If you're just mindful of your breathing and just stay with that, you're being concentrated. What happens? The more you get steady, you naturally become more aware of What's going on in your body? You're naturally more mindful when you're walking around in four postures or daily activities. You naturally become aware of feeling tone, not only as you're having an experience, but rather than being caught up on automatic pilot reactive, you're going to, oh, this is unpleasant. You're aware of mind states because you realize, oh, there's reactivity in my mind. My mind's agitated versus not or whatever. So it can be, that's another way you can approach it where um, uh, just by doing mindfulness of breathing, it opens up to all the others. And that's kind of what gets talked about, actually, in the Anapanasati Sutta, which we'll talk about in a bit. So there's a lot of ways that it can be taught and approached. We, we shouldn't tie ourselves up in a knot worrying about this separation between concentration, mindfulness, and insight. Because it, the good news is, is that I say there's not a right or wrong. Some teachers will disagree with that. So I'm just giving you my take on it. Right? Everything starts with mindfulness. No matter what you practice, you have to have some awareness and mindfulness. So it's always in there. Many people find tremendous benefit approaching these uh, practices just being mindful with what's happening. And they don't, you know, they're not putting an emphasis in their mind on concentration. You'll get a certain amount of concentration. I think from a sutta point of view, though, my take on the suttas is that when we read these quotes here, the suttas are saying, for foundation of mindfulness is the practice to do in order to attain right samadhi, which is jhana, which is the culmination of the four, seven factors of enlightenment. 
And that's how I see it all coming together as one. So that's another view and way to hold it. How might you practice that? Let's just say, again, I, when I say mindfulness of breathing, that's not the right best practice for everyone. There's a range of practices. You fill in your own root or home base practice, whatever it is for you. You stay with your breath. Just do that. Sometimes you'll feel like you're just getting more and more of the concentration and the PT, and it feels like you're kind of leaning on the concentration side of the practice. Just go with it. You don't even have to change on its own. There will be plenty of times when you can't concentrate. And your body hurts, or you're caught in a hindrance. Or you're right there on the inside side. All the four other four foundations are there, and so you, you don't try to push them away. You let your experience inform, and you're right there with it. And in that way, it can also be unified in one where the breath can take us towards into jhana, as far as we want to take it. But we also open up when our experience inevitably tells us and we're kind of emphasizing other factors are popping up into our awareness. It doesn't have to be one way or the other. And you kind of get it all. It's just another approach. That's kind of where I come from. It's another approach. So uh, just one second, Steve. I'll just wrap up. And then, So the point I'm trying to make is I do think that if you do want to take the approach I took or said I was going to take, which may not be historically valid, of seeing the suttas as a unified, cogent, cohesive set of teachings, I do not see how you can set aside uh, mindful, insight practice separate from jhanas in there when you take it all, because the jhanas are emphasized big time all over the place. But people are doing it, and that's fine. Sudhimaga's got a whole path of practice where they separate it out, so you can do it. So it's not like you have to do it one or another. You just have to say, well, what system am I going to use? Am I going to use the system of the Vasudhimaga? Good, I'm drawn to that. This is working for me. I like it. And you go with that. Am I going to use the system of the suttas? Do I even think they're separate systems? And if so, which interpretation of the suttas am I going to take? And then you pick that and go with that. So from a practical point of view, it doesn't matter. If you, if you, from a textual point of view, it's hard to throw samadhi out. So again, I would say four foundations of mindfulness is intimately connected with samadhi and jhana practice, but it doesn't have to be. In the uh, Samyutta Nikaya, the connected discourses of the Buddha, there's a whole section of mindfulness of breathing, but a lot of the suttas are titled Concentration of Mindfulness of Breathing. So it's pretty explicit that they're, they're connected. Right, right. I appreciate that. Also, don't forget one other thing. Remember that concentration can be exclusive and one-pointed, and it can be open and inclusive. You can see that if you were doing an exclusive, one-pointed kind of a pure, when I say Vasudhimaga and Sutta, again, there's so many variations, but I'm just trying to keep them kind of in a very I don't know if pure is the right way, just as a means of way of talking. It, it's not always cut and dry just like this. There's so many flavors and variations. If you're doing a pure Vasudhimaga approach, and you really could take it so far that you got into this exclusive one-pointedness, probably a lot of this rest of this uh, Satipatthana isn't going to rise in your consciousness that much. You can see how if that's your understanding of what samadhi is, uh, insight meditation is going to be something different. 
And in fact, the reason so many place, people and teachers and, you know, you could go to Spirit Rock and you will hear that, not everyone, but this is, some people will talk like this, that it's something different. Say, oh, you're doing concentration. Oh, gosh, you're not doing insight. That's okay. Is because their understanding is that when we use the word samadhi, we're, we mean exclusive narrow concentration. And they just unconsciously in their mind always think that. What I'm proposing to you is that that's fine, but you have a choice point. We're not getting to the how to do it. You could come talk to me offline. I can talk to you about it. I'm happy to, or maybe other teachers here can help you. Either naturally on its own, or you can steer your samadhi to open into inclusive samadhi. And if you do that, the more concentrated you are, you're not getting more disconnected. You're getting more intimately connected through everything that the Forum of Foundations is pointing to, and that would be another kind of approach you could take where they don't get separated out. And so my bottom line is I don't think the suttas are separating out uh, two paths of practice. I think it's one path of practice. Just one second. I, no, you, yes, yeah, sorry, Murray. Well, you're t- wait, wait a minute. Let's just so you're. You, I just want to get clear on your terminology. You're saying how can I focus, have a concentration practice? So are you saying having a concentration practice as something distinct from having an insight practice? Well, I have a practice and, and what do you mean by that? Focus on and you call that having a concentration practice, yes. and that's not a mindfulness practice, and you wouldn't call it an insight practice then. Okay, and would you call that an insight practice, a mindfulness practice, a concentration practice? But you wouldn't call it an insight practice if you have a mindfulness of body practice. I'm just, I'm, I'm not trying to give you too hard about time, but I'm, I'm trying to. You could challenge you a little here. Let me ask you a question, Murray. I've known you for a long time. I happen to know you're a long-time practitioner, and say you've done a lot of retreats, and so I'll use that. I don't know your daily life practice, but let's just take... You you don't have to do retreats. Daily life's great, but let me just use an example. I know... I've talked to you about your practice. I know enough to know that you've been on retreats. You know what it's like to get concentrated to whatever degree compared to what daily life concentration might be for you, right? When you're on those retreats and you're deeper in the samadhi... Is it true that you're actually naturally more aware of something's going on in your body than you might have been before? It's, you're so present for it? Yeah, you're nodding your head yes. If some mind state is going on, aren't you more aware of it than ever because you're in a more of a concentrated place? You're not less aware, you're more aware. Isn't that true? Yeah. Maybe not always. Well, that's different. That's, that's a strategy. Then you may try to let go, but well, I don't. I I don't know the should or shouldn't of it. There's because it's not one way, right? That's a whole this conversation. Is my point is depending on the kind of samadhi we develop, you can develop a samadhi in which you separate out concentration as a pra- concentration practice and an insight practice. And we've been talking about that a lot today, and I think people are getting the basic idea of what we mean. So I want to just get clear with you because you could also develop a kind of samadhi that's 
so inclusive and actually is enhancing your connection. So just by doing what you call a concentration practice, the, 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 all the rest of the foundations of mindfulness and all the insights into the characteristics are actually magnified just by having the, what I would call right samadhi that includes all those other factors from the anupanasati, the investigation, the mindfulness. Oh, I don't know. I'm not saying that. I just want us to be because cl- here's here's I, I I have to admit I'm being a little on this bandwagon here a little only because I think everybody gets it. I don't think there's one better than another. So I used to co-teach at Spirit Rock every year. They have a retreat there called the Concentration Retreat, and I taught it for a few years. And uh, just by the fact that they have a, a retreat called the Concentration Retreat tells you, oh, this is something different than a regular insight retreat. Why are they calling it the concentration retreat? So it's a different emphasis. And of course, when I was there, I was in, wasn't doing text, but just a teacher, and I'm the one go, kind of integrating and unifying it so we're not separate. Concentration and insight and mindfulness are not the same thing, but there's a way where you can synthesize them together as one. All the way to John and the deep insights and all that, and I was kind of pushing that. But the other teachers had more of the Vasudhimaga separation. And I remember talking to the teachers about it, and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's great. It's all one. It's all one. But then uh, Sally Armstrong, with, with two days left, said, um, well, now for the last couple of days of the concentration retreat, if you want to switch to insight meditation, it's fine. And I'm just like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's so ingrained of them being separate. And my only complaint about that is again I think that's great my only complaint is that we don't want to automatically say that is the way it is that they're separated out they can they can be inclusive and especially given that the jhana definition is explicitly immersing awareness in your body right those are those all those jhana similes we don't want to throw out the idea that they can come together if that's a style of practice that people relate with. So going back to that, my answer to you, and this is the short answer, is, is that people can get concentrated all the way to jhana uh, with any meditation technique or objects, including the body. I don't know about the Vedana part, but uh, uh, other parts of the body and mind states also. I know that some people can do that. So I find a question forming in my mind. Um, maybe kind of a big question. See, my idea of the whole point of developing a mind that can concentrate on your object of meditation for an extended period of time is that if you do so on a regular basis that your mind develops certain helpful qualities. It's strengthened, you achieve clarity, you see the world, yourself, the way it really is. Uh, You aren't swayed by the worldly winds anymore. So you see, you develop insight, and when you do that, uh, then you see there's nothing to hold on to, nothing worth being attached to. So then you let go. And when you let go, you're not attached to yourself. Yeah. When you're not attached to yourself, you're 
your focus of attention in daily life expands outward to That's include a beautiful articulation. I love it. People, sentient beings, farm animals, and and so you develop loving kindness, compassion, and so forth, and uh, your your morality rises to a much higher level and much more subtle level, and and these things, the loving kindness, the sila, and the letting go are what's really important. The concentration just helps you develop your mind so that you can get there. But you're, you seem to be saying that what the text in the canon, maybe also the Vasudhamaga, are, are emphasizing is the jhana or the samadhi and, and that these other things I'm talking about aren't so important. No, no, I don't think that. I love the way you articulate it. I think it's just beautiful, and it captured everything so nicely. So I wish, you know, it's on the recording here. I want to copy it down because it just was great. I would say it a little differently than that. I would say if we, if instead of, tr- so there is a wide range of views and opinions about concentration, but if we remember that it really means, samadhi really means undistracted, and if we, in our mind, actually use the term undistracted, I don't think there's any, con- any disagreement out there about taking an undistracted mind as far as you want. It doesn't matter whether you separate out paths or anything. So some people say, oh, you don't need concentration, or you do. But no Buddhist teachers say, you know, be distracted, <laughs> right? To be undistracted has a, a, a sense of a mindful presence where we're not caught in things and lost in things. We know what's happening in the present moment. So um, that's the essence of this. And when really all jhana is is taking that undistractedness to a level where your perceptions are happening. The way I think of it is I use an image. Sometimes it's like the mind becomes a Hubble telescope. Or you can use the opposite. It's like the mind becomes an electron microscope, and both work. The level of clarity and perception is just on whole other levels. Of, and it's not just about, it's about everything. It's even about all these forces that in ourselves that keep us from actualizing the beautiful articulation that you had. So I would say samadhi is, just a, is exactly what you said. I, I, my take on the text is, is it is exactly the way you say it. It's just developing... Um, wholesome qualities in mind in support of, of a liberated mind, just like you're saying. And the only thing I would add to that is it's not only the clarity of there's a stability of mind that's there that carries through. There's a clarity of mind that goes through. But there's another thing that we're not talking about today, which is called purification of mind. And this is not I'm just going to drop this in. But it, it could be a, I'm afraid it might open up into a big topic where I don't want to go. Just by going into these samadhi states, there, there, there is a, well, they call it purification of mind. Some of the conditioned patterns in our minds can get kind of cleaned out in, our, in some way just by touching. Because some of these spaces, you get, we get to see just places of how beautiful the mind can be. Or, or it can disentangle somatic uh, tensions in our bodies and sometimes people have all these somatic expressions that come of energies and it can be kind of disconcerting and then it can untangle a lot can happen that's kind of healing and resourcing and nurturing just by touching the states that has nothing to do with the clarity and awareness so there's many benefits on a lot of levels but I do think it's all in service of what you're talking about 
That's why after all this discussion, the reason we're emphasizing samadhi because that's the theme of today. It's on what's the place and understanding of concentration in meditation. But in the bigger picture, I would say we don't want to, it's, it's, we're doing a disservice if we, if we underappreciate samadhi. I think we're really doing a disservice. But at the same, you know, I think John is a huge big deal. At the same time, let's not make too big of a deal about it. And I think they're both true because, listen, what about people who follow the pure dry path of practice? They're, they're not, they don't know jhana, they're not interested in jhana. And you meet some of these people and just, you know, their hearts seem open, their minds seem free, they're in place. And it wasn't a path of samadhi. So I think we have to be careful of saying there's any one way that the path has to open or one doorway in. For those of us who are drawn in this, this is a is, is an important aspect, and it does get a lot of emphasis in the text. I, I do think the text put a huge emphasis on this jhana, but we want to be open and inclusive about and not be so f- fixed on one way, I would say. Yeah, I, I sent you this email as the, the $50,000 or $100,000 question. This is a couple of suttas where it says, as far as gaining noble attainments, for you to be a stream enter, you need to master your virtue, you have to have a moderate amount of concentration, a moderate amount of wisdom, and then it goes on that by, by you're a non-return, you have to master concentration, and then become an arhat, you have to master all three. What the text never say is what they mean by a moderate amount of concentration. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you yeah. know mastering concentration is all for what John is, but they don't know what the moderate amount, do you need jhana to become a stream enterer? I mean, it's not clear in the text about that. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And actually, we were going to touch on some of that when we do the controversy, so that's a little bit of what we're going to say. I guess from my perspective, you get these people who are the so-called great masters. You don't really know what's going on in a person's state of mind, right? But you meet some people who, you know, I've been around a few people where it's like, you can, it's just palpable. It's like, I don't know what he or she has, but whatever they have, that's what I want. You know, you can feel there's just something profound about their being or their presence. I haven't met many people like that, but I've met a few. And the ones I've, I'm thinking of, and again, I don't, I don't really know, but they seem to have some level of, I, I'm not afraid to use the word enlightenment, or I don't know really what enlightenment is, but, but you know, um, they didn't all get there in the same way. And, you know, that's, I don't know. We don't know, but it, let, so let's, just one second, uh, let's, the whole purpose of today is to just educate ourselves so we kind of know what the teachings are. And now when people are saying, oh yeah, this is the path of jhana, we can actually say, well, okay, that's great. Uh, which jhana are you talking about? Uh, I'm the path of this, don't, don't use concentration with it, do, it's not confusing. We can just say, oh, I see where they're coming from. How does that fit in with my practice? Uh, yes, please. I, I think it's all a really important to go back to dry insight versus wet insight and the role of jhana and what people are teaching in the Vipassana community versus what's written in the suttas. I think it's a really important discussion, the role of jhana, because when you read the suttas, in fact, jhana is very important. Having read the entire suttas, John is mentioned a lot. And most Vipassana teachers say, oh, 
don't worry about, don't worry about it, that's not important, that's not important, that's not. So what they are teaching is one thing, and what's written in the suttas is actually another. Right. Um, and dry insight is not really mentioned in the suttas, just it's mentioned only in commentary by Bhikkhu Bodo, this is what we think that he means when certain bhikkhus come back from the rains reporting that they attain such and such enlightenment. There's an annotation, this is what I remember from reading the suttas, there's an annotation in Bhikkhu, Buddha, uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's text saying this means they were dry insight versus wet insight. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it's a really important discussion. But he was bringing a commentarial understanding. He, he exactly. used to do that a lot more. He doesn't do that so much anymore. Right, exactly. But it's not in the suttas that understanding of dry insight versus wet insight. Is right, there's not no, none of that's in, in the, the words suttas. of the Buddha himself. Right. That is coming from Western Vipassana teachers oh. and maybe from other, uh, you know, from certain lineage holders. But I think it's a really important distinction because if we're going to go to the, this whole conversation we're having today, uh, because if we're going to go to what the Buddha himself taught, according to the words that were recorded, John is fundamental. Right. As and far as I can see, being taught. Yeah, yeah. As, well, but there's a historical reasons for that because it came sure. out of the Burmese Mahasi Sayadaw, very pure, dry insight path of of the Sudhimaga, and in that understanding. If you, if you do samadhi, and, and they even equate samatha, tranquility, with samadhi. They use those interchangeably. To me, right samadhi includes insight and mindfulness and all those 11 factors of the Anapanasati. They're all there. That's right insight and, it's, and includes tranquility, but it's not the whole thing. So it's just a different understanding. Yes. And so in that understanding, you do want to watch out because there was this whole thing. It turned out to be wrong. I've had conversations with people like Jack Cornfield and others behind closed doors, and they said, yeah, you know, we were worried that everybody was going to get attached to the jhanas, and we de-emphasized it, and we kind of screwed it up, and, right. and, uh, and, we, and it's okay because if people got a lot of benefit, but really it turned out not to be so problematic. And, and so, and people are, but look, I'm going to tell you right now, for those of you who ha don't have experience with jhana, it's super pleasant. You are going to get attached to it. It's okay. You'll suffer, you'll cling, and you'll learn, and you'll learn to let go. It's not a big deal. And the Buddha is quoted as saying, don't fear the pleasure of, didn't I read that quote earlier? He said, go for it. I think also to recognize that teachers are teaching what they can hopefully teach with facility. Yeah. And what might be more challenging for them to teach with facility and what might be more controversial is being avoided for for, for Well maybe what they taught or how they practice, right? For certain reasons. I mean it's not necessarily wrong or bad, but to just recognize that there's what the Buddha himself taught, as it's been recorded, and then there's what people are teaching today, now, here, in our culture. Right. That's and right. And in the suttas, even, there isn't such, there's no such thing as Vipassana meditation. Did you know that in the suttas? That's true. There is no practice called Vipassana. Vipassana insight is, some, is, a, some, is a noun. It's an insight that is gained. All the practices that we call Vipassana are there, but they don't, they get, there's just mental cultivation of all these practices. 
And so Vipassana is great. And so we practice in all these ways. And again, it's just how much do we balance mindfulness, insight, and, and samadhi together? And everybody's going to balance those in different combinations. But those three come together in whatever combination for each of us. Right? But so, yeah, so we're, you know, we want to be clear today. I think, I hope I'm bending over backwards to say over and over. It's not like I'm making one right or wrong. I think it's, I think it's a great discussion, but to come back to what the, the value is and no. what's being taught. I had all these quotes here of the Buddha going on and on about how important John is, and I thought, well, gee, I don't want to... F-. And then I realized, oh, I'm falling into, like, advocacy here, and, and uh, so I uh, didn't want to do that. Yeah, but, but, yeah, but it's, I'm trying not to do that, right? Yeah. Certainly in the uh, Cha tradition, the monks teach entirely from personal experience. So if they haven't had jhana, they don't teach it. But they also encourage that every monk spend time at every monastery. So no monk is going to be isolated with one teacher. Sounds like wise and skillful approach to me. So that that's would be what I think is the answer to what she's talking about, yeah. which is people are limited by what their experience is and yeah, what yeah. they can teach. That's right. And then hopefully over time we all come to know like ourselves and our way and we find our way through it all, right? We're going to break pretty soon, but were there, were there some, did you have your hand up or somebody? So I want to try to put this in very simple terms so that I can uh, take it with me into my daily life. For the few of us who are still in the workforce and not walk around with a bowl to collect alms and for the ones who are still raising children. If I were to practice the pure concentration and the other things we mentioned here today, many of them, and actually reach a point of rapture and bliss, would that then be sustained throughout if I just keep on when I see that it's starting to diminish, I practice again to just push it back to the rapture and bliss and become quiet on the inside and on the outside that I do not utter adversities toward the people around me and maybe only speak when others speak to me. Like, could you explain, like, what would that person actually look like in the workforce, in the Western world? And uh, a second part of my question is, are there in the other countries where the monks are practicing from monastery to monastery, are there actually lay people like us, people who are working in the fields, picking the rice, do they meditate 40 minutes every day? Thank you. Right. So, you know, it's a big question. I can only say a few things about it. I'm not an expert like in the Asian countries of what it, I know a little bit about what it might look like. But uh, there's certainly, it's, it's, it, over there it's the same way it is here. There's a range of the goals people have in their practice, how dedicated they are or not to achieving those goals. It's not all going to be one thing. And there's a range of, you know, how much people practice. And even in the monasteries, like if you re- looked at all Theravada monks and nuns, uh, it's only a minority of them who actually practice in that way. I don't know if you knew that, right? And I'm not disparaging anyone. Some of them just live according to the veneer or do different. Some are study 
monastics, whatever. So it's a big, big world out there. We don't. So I think the answer to me is is that we each have our own life circumstances. Everybody here looks like a lay person. I don't see anybody in robes. I don't know, you know, the specifics of anybody's life. So we want to be careful not make up stories. But um, right, we all look like we're living in society in the world. And so, you know, the question for each of us is: we do the best we can with what we have. That's all we can do. And we live the best we can. And, you know, that's an interesting question. I, I don't know that the, the goal, you can have your own goal, of course, but from a, the tradition's goal is not to carry around uh, piti and sukha, rapture and, and happiness all the time. Uh, that's, that, the, the goal in our tradition is uh, called a liberation through non-clinging. And that uh, non-clinging applies to what we would call ordinary daily life consciousness, whatever that is for each of us. And samadhi definitely carries through into daily life consciousness. But whatever that is for us, all the way up to the most rarefied states of consciousness and through it all, we bring in the, the mind of non-clinging. So it's not about the meditative state that we carry. It's about uh, the open heart and the mind of non-clinging. So um, that's what I would offer. But you have to see, you know, each of us for ourselves, what we want. There are people who do aspire to try to keep a certain level of samadhi in their daily life, and then you can work with that. And, you know, it's, it's just different for each of us. As far as what it would look like, I can't answer that. It's just like, I think you said it. What would it look like for someone to go through life and be non-reactive and keep an open heart, or I don't know how you said it. Well, I mean... They would be, wow, there's a person there who's keeping an open heart and is non-reactive. It would look like that. I mean, <laughs> and those are the kind of people we might feel more safe around, right? It's like, okay, I can go talk to Joe because I know Joe will, you know, be empathetic or something. <laughs> okay. So just, yes, please. I mean, it's more active uh, in a sense uh, compared to samatha meditation. It's very peaceful. So, how to bring both can work together? Insight meditation and uh, yeah. peaceful uh, uh, samatha. Well, first of all, insight meditation. It's it's actually quite a lo- big, broad world of what we mean by the term insight. Not only the techniques and practices of uh, that we would put under the that that are comprised under insight. Vipassana, but even having insights, how that manifests, it's not necessarily an analytical. It can be coming out of the deep stillness sometimes. It can be, where, where there's more active mental engagement in the process and in the realization. But also the insights can come out of the deep stillness where the mind gets so subtle and quiet and coming out of the stillness that there's a perception that arises on another level that we're able to like see under the under the noise and get down there. So it's a big topic of what do we mean by insights or perceptions or liberating insights. It's not just one way. So they don't have to be separated out, but they could. So it's, it's a big topic. I can't go into more detail right now. Maybe we could talk offline if you want. I mean, if you have more, yeah, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, if I take uh, the Eightfold Path, the mindfulness is kind of uh, insight, they say, insight med- meditation, which uh, awareness is focused on. And uh, the concentration, the last step, um, is the one like a fruit of that. So even if an apple tree 
gives a fruit, it has uh, around 40 leaves it has to have uh, to absorb the energy to convert into a fruit. So if you take mindfulness as a leaf, which collects the awareness and make it a sweet uh, fruit, is the end product is the, uh, the fruit of uh, concentration. So if we take as a plant, if we are growing eightfold path is a kind of uh, plant. And uh, the seventh step is the mindfulness, which has um, awareness practice and uh, which causes, uh, affects the concentration. There's a cause and effect relations between mindfulness and concentration. Uh, mindfulness causes the effect of concentration. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were just saying, or is it? I, 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 I don't know. Did you have a question, or I, I like what you is said? It, uh, that uh, relations is correct, or um, yeah. Uh, I mean, first of all, I don't equate. So this is very common for people to equate mindfulness with insight, and then concentration is different practice. P- perfectly fine. I don't do that. To me, mindfulness is foundation for all of this because mindfulness is just the knowing what's happening. So if, even if you're doing my, breath meditation in service of concentration, you're actually doing mindfulness of breathing meditation. There still has to be a mindfulness. The mindfulness has to come into everything. Mindfulness is foundational. And then whatever our understanding of insight is, which can be many, many understandings, we could sort of emphasize that whatever our understanding of concentration, we can emphasize that through our mindfulness. Or sometimes we don't choose to emphasize, we just stay with our breath and it unfolds for us in its own way. So there's lots of different variations. It's not one way. See, here it's hard because we're speaking generalities. It's, it's different if you're sitting one-on-one with someone and really working in their experience. Then you can follow it. But here I, I can only offer in generalizations. I think you may have missed the morning session, right? Were you here for the morning? Oh, you were. Yeah, yeah. So we went through a lot. I mean, it's fine that you bring that up, but we actually talked a lot about that this morning. But yeah, I'm sorry you just missed that part. So uh, even the mind is unlimited, uh, like uh, it doesn't belong to body, it is everywhere? Well, you're getting into the uh, rupas there, uh, the formless attainments. Well, I, I mean, are you talking... Yeah, yeah, so there, experientially, the mind's dropped away. They're formless. There is no connection with the body in those. Uh, I mean, you still have a body because you're still alive. You haven't died, but um, it, it's from an experience point of view, right? They're, they're, um, like if you're in the, the formless attainment of boundless consciousness, there's just kind of an infinity of consciousness. That's it. No sense of a body. The world's dropped away, everything. It's only that, yes. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, what we're going to do is this. Um, I hope that was helpful. We're just This is kind of what I wanted to get to. What's the range of ways that from a practice point of view that things could be understood and approached? And, you know, I hope that was useful. Yeah. So let me do this. There's, I really, it's, it's, um, it's about 3.15, and we're going to take a break. And really, I only have a couple more goals here, and I think we can do them pretty quick. I wanted to mention one more sutta, which is called the Anapanisati, Mindfulness of Breathing Sutta. And um, um, 
I'd like to do that really quick and then take a break. And when we come back, I think we can do the Anapanasati actually pretty quick, even though it's a, it's a huge topic, but just to touch on it. When I come back, what I have in mind to end for today is I want to just ask three questions. And I think we've kind of answered them. So it may be short. One question is, now that we've talked about this, okay, let's go back and revisit what is the nature of John? And I want to look at one particular question. The Vasudhi Maga says you're in a jhana where you can't even, you don't even have body awareness anymore. Looks to me like the suttas are saying you have jhana where that's immersed in body awareness. I want to kind of just reconcile that. How can that be? Doesn't make it, you know, how do they get away? How does a Vasudhi Maga get away with saying that? So, but there is a way that they do that. So I want to just look at that one question. It's a pretty simple answer, and we'll understand that. So we can see, and the real answer is, they're just two different jhana systems. They're actually two different jhanas. So when people use the word jhana, they're not always talking about the same thing. So let's spend a little time on that. I want to ask the question, is the path of, of, of insight and samadhi two paths or one? kind of already, but I just want to pull it together. That can be pretty quick. And then I'd like to ask the question, and Steve was kind of pointing to it, is like, according to the texts, is uh, John necessary for, for enlightenment? We already know in the Vasudhimaga, John is not necessary because there's a path called the pure path of Vipassana. We don't, just, we don't do John. We know what the Vasudhimaga says. What do the suttas say? We just want to look at that and to wrap it all up. So, And then, of course, if we have time and there's questions or comments, that's fine too, yeah? All right. Let me do the Vasudhimaga real quick and then we'll take a break, okay? Can you hang in for, for that? Anapanasati, real quick. So I just put a little bit here on page five of your notes. Let me just make a few comments. In the middle length discourses, Majjhimanakaya 118, I think it is. Is that right? 118. Uh, there's a sutta called Anapanasati. Uh, it's called Mindfulness of Breathing. Ana, in-breathing, pana, out-breathing. M- mindfulness of Breathing Sutta. And basically, it's got a whole introductory piece which, in which the Buddha comments on all these different practices that different monks and nuns and lay people are doing. Totally different than breathing. And he says they're practicing this. And he praises them all. It's just kind of broadening what is considered good practice. And then he says, let me teach you a practice now that I think is good, and he's mindfulness of breathing. And basically what it does is it, it, it divides the path of mindfulness of breathing practice up into 16 steps. Another list for you. If you want the 16 steps, you can go copy them out of the book. They're there. And... Uh, I won't go into them all, but it actually starts with the first four steps right out of the Satipatthana Sutta on mindfulness of breathing. It goes to that. And I won't go through them, but basically it's saying like, you're just aware of your breath. Like if you're breathing in and, and you're having long breaths, you know what's happening. If they're short breaths, you use your breath to kind of tranquilize the body. And it just talks about things like this. I, I don't want to get into the details. It's too much for our five minutes. And then there's more steps that happen that, um, uh, oh, I wish we had more time on it. But anyway, it's a whole topic. There's books out there on it. But it includes all the, 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 if we were to list out some of the ingredients in the steps, 
Let, let me just do something real quick here. I'll just list a few things. Sorry about this. Let me just pull them up real quick. Here. Here's the steps real quick. And then you'll see the reason I'm doing this is because some people take this sutta to be a samadhi, very samadhi practice. Some people take it to be very insight and not samadhi, and, and, and it's not one, one right way, so you should just be aware. It's divided if, into four tetrads. The first tetrad, when you breathe, if you're having a long... Uh, this, I, I'm leaving out some detail. If the breath is long, you know it's a long breath. Number two, if your breath is short, you know it's a short breath. Number three, you train by using your breathing experiencing your whole body. It's actually telling us to using through the breath as a way to kind of open up to the whole body. That's kind of like in the jhana similes, isn't it? In number four, tranquilizing, it's called the bodily formation, so tranquilizing out the body. Then the next tetrad, you train experiencing piti, right out of the jhana similes. You train experiencing pleasure, sukha, you train experiencing mental formations, and then you train tranquilizing mental formations. That's a whole topic. What do we mean by this term they use? But just say calming your mind out for now. You train experiencing the mind, gladdening your mind, concentrating your mind, so the concentration's there, and liberating your mind. And then finally, you train contemplating impermanence, contemplating dispassion, contemplating cessation and contemplating letting go. I know that was quick. And that's a lot. Uh, you can come, come up here and copy them down if you want, or you can get this easy on, the, on this, this list. In here, there's both all the concentration stuff here. It even says concentrating the mind is part of your training. And it's got piti and sukha, and, and so a lot of the parts out of John are right here. But it's also got all this uh, insight stuff. You train contemplating impermanence. Contemplating dispassion and letting go. So for now, let me just say it's an important sutta. I would say it's as important as the Satipatthana Sutta in the tradition. You could, two things. One is you can practice it emphasizing the insight side and de-emphasize concentration. Or vice versa, emphasizing concentration, de-emphasizing the insight. Or if you follow the steps in here, it's, it's actually emphasizing both. So maybe it's another thing kind of in the style I tend to come from, which is bringing them together as one practice. Through developing this concentration, then it opens up into these insights. So you have choice points. People teach and practice in all these ways. And the last thing I would say about it is also it can be prescriptive or descriptive. Some people is prescriptive. They actually practice. Okay, I'm practicing step one. Now I'm moving to step two. And either over the course of one sit, over the course of a long, you know, days, weeks, months, years as they work through. You can also practice it as prescriptive. I mean, descriptive. Describing what happens, just start with your breath. And as you get concentrated, here's how it unfolds. So that's probably as much as we have time for on how does samadhi relate to this. I know that's 
that's all we got. <laughs> so let's do this. It's about, um, what time is it? Um, if we can, you know, take however much time you need, you know, if you need longer, of course, take care of yourself, but we'll come back in about 10 minutes, 